Well, after a bit of a break, we're back in the Gospel of John. So please, if you would, get a Bible and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We are now in a major, a majorly different point in the Gospel, and it is going to show us some really good stuff. Many of you, as you're turning there, maybe have something called a, a bucket list. And many people out in our world today have what, what's called a bucket list. And forgive me if I'm repeating what you already know, but a bucket list is, is that list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, before you die. So I want us to imagine that we have one of those and that we're given a terminal diagnosis. You're going to die, and you, have, you are given a few days to live. What would you do during that time? And what? What if during that time, you also knew that you were going to be hurt deeply by someone you loved? And would that change what you did on that list? So, what would stay on your bucket list? What would go? And would that bucket list include the person who is going to hurt you? See, Jesus, in a way, has a bucket list, too or had, what was on his bucket list? He's in his final week of life. He knows he's going to die. It's not cancer that's going to kill him. He's actually dying because the world is full of something worse than cancer. And he's going to die because one of his friends, someone he's poured his life and time and energy to, into, is going to betray him. What does Jesus do with the precious little time that he has left? And what does he want everyone who calls themselves a Christian to do with the time that we have left? Whether we have just a few minutes or maybe even a century. So let's see if we can answer that this morning. Would you please stand as we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 13. As we stand in, reading, in the honor of reading God's Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You can have a seat. God's love results in service. You see, in this part of the Gospel of John, the crowds are gone for now. And Jesus takes what little time he has left with his own disciples to show and teach from the bucket list that God's love results in service. As we unpack this passage this morning, we need to ask, what does God, what does Jesus, God in the flesh, want for us to know and do with his love, which results in service? Well, firstly, we must believe that Jesus serves. So here's a question. Do we believe God, who is high and exalted far above all, do we believe him to be a serving God? And that leads to another question. Why should we believe that he is? Oftentimes our conception of God is he's out there, we're to serve him, not the other way around. Well, what does this passage say? It says, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had to come to depart out of the, the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Why should we believe him? Because Jesus loves his own. There is a sense in which Jesus loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he doesn't, give, he doesn't love the world for the sake of the world. He loves the world to make a people for himself, to bring them out of it, even when they remain in it for the time being, which that's where we are. Jesus is the husband of one bride the church, and he is 100% faithful to the people of the church. So much so that in the hour of his death, even with the happiest promise of going back to the Father where things would be perfectly right, the place he had had from eternity, he was intent on loving his own. And he loved them to the end. And that means that he was like the husband who took the bullet for his wife when he died on the cross. And it also means that he's like the husband who loves his wife fully while he is still alive. 
So, here's a question for you. Do you know, church, do you know, you who trust Jesus, you who hold him dear, do you know that he has loved you, that he loves you with this kind of love? He loved them to the end. Jesus loves his own. That's why we should believe him. And secondly, we should believe him because Jesus is sovereign. And this is a crazy part part of this passage, but it says in verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, we'll unpack the betrayal of Judas Iscariot at another time. But Judas Iscariot, we are told is not one of Jesus' own. When the devil had put it into his heart, he is a son and servant to the devil and is the betrayer of Jesus. And it bears repeating and reminding everyone in this room that the sad reality that is that anyone who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is a guilty son and servant of the devil. But, Jesus already knowing that that's going on, where is Jesus' focus? Is Jesus' focus on the betrayal? No. Verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing what? That the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This betrayal does not deter Jesus from loving and serving because Jesus knows reality. Jesus has been given all things by his Father. What does that mean? It means what it means, everything. Everything is under the sovereign control of Jesus, the Son of God. Well, what does that include? Well, that includes all that we're doing here this morning. That includes his whole ministry leading up to it. And that includes the schemes of the devil and the betrayal of a close friend. So if you have been hurt, if you have been betrayed in your life, Jesus is not somehow asleep at the wheel. He is sovereign over that. We must believe he serves because he's sovereign. And thirdly, we see that Jesus is the servant of servants. Let's read that again, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, because of that, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The loving, sovereign God. Because he knew who he was and that the cross awaited him, along with resurrection, along with ascension and exaltation, what's he do? He takes the posture of a slave. Now, 
just saying it that way is kind of crazy enough, but we have to understand how big of a deal this is. Linda alluded to it a little bit, but the roads back in those days were not asphalt. They were dusty if dry, muddy if wet, and guess what else was on that road? Animal droppings. Sewage. They didn't have plumbing. And while their sandals had soles to keep them, keep their feet from walking barefoot, <laughs> there were a lot of openings in those sandals for all sorts of gross stuff to come on in. So before dinner in Jewish households, servants or slaves in the household would wash the feet of the guests. Well, here... Well, it doesn't seem to say that there are any servants. And the disciples certainly weren't going to do it. No self-respecting Jewish person would dishonor themselves and do this just voluntarily. So what does that mean? It means that the disciples were eating at the table with dirty feet. Better to do that than to serve. Until Jesus the one out of all of them who according to societal custom should never have even considered doing such a thing. If there was someone that was going to have to do it, it would never have been him. He was the teacher. What does it say he did? He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is scandal! You don't do this, Jesus! Why does he do this? We'll look more closely as the passage continues, but Jesus is the servant of servants. Servants. Mark 10, verse 45 explains this. He said, Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We must believe that Jesus serves. God's love results in service. <laughs> and if you were in this room at this dinner, every mouth that was chewing food stopped in mid-bite when Jesus did this. They probably stared at him, horrified. And I'm betting you their eyes darted between one another as if a nonverbal communication of saying, is he for real? You could have heard a pin drop at this meal at this moment. We must believe that Jesus serves. But what else, what else does God, what else does Jesus want us to know and do with his love resulting in service at this extraordinarily awkward point of the meal? Secondly, we must receive Jesus' serving. Because as he gets up and he starts washing, he comes to Simon Peter in verse 6, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? That's kind of an awkward way of, putting this. That's basically saying, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? 
washing your are you going to wa- are you going to wash my feet so this awkward silence in the meal and guess and of course it's peter who breaks the silence right he always does he's the shoot first ask questions guy ask questions later guy our kent hughes wrote regarding this passage he says good old peter sometimes the only time he opened his mouth was to change feet I love Peter. We should love Peter because we are so much like him. It hurts. You see, we like believing in Jesus until he actually decides to humbly serve us. Then we're scandalized. Why? God serving us? No, in our economy of things, those who are lesser than us are to serve us. In our economy of things, Religion says we need to serve God first before he'll serve us. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not Jesus' way. You don't get to serve at all if Jesus doesn't serve you first. We must receive Jesus' serving. How do we do that? Well, first we do it with trust. Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, verse 7, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Kind of just let me do this, Peter. And Peter said to him, verse 8, You shall never wash my feet. What's going on? Peter doesn't trust Jesus here. He thinks he's lost his mind and is shaming himself. Even when Jesus says, trust me, in verse 7, Peter believes he knows better than God in the flesh whom he has spent the better part of three years with. (laughs) Are you starting to see how kind of crazy this response is? And aren't we like that? We don't want to admit that we have dirty feet that need cleansing. And even if they are, we'll we'll be okay, Jesus. We've got this. You don't need to meddle in our lives. It's just dirty feet. But that's not what's going on here, is it? It's not about dirty feet, ultimately. When Jesus says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand, he's ultimately meaning that Peter is not going to fully understand Jesus kneeling there in his underwear, wrapped with a towel around his waist, wiping Peter's road-caked feet until Peter sees the cross. For it is trust in Jesus serving us on the cross, dying for our sins, to take away our dirty sins, that we are saved. We must receive Jesus' serving with trust. And secondly, we must receive Jesus' serving with humility. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. And and Jesus calls Peter out on his pride, and Jesus answers in verse 8. He says, if I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. So Peter (laughs) takes a full 180, and he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Wash all of me, God. He doesn't get it yet. Isn't that good news? 
We don't always get it the first time. But here's what Jesus is saying. If we do not let Jesus wash us, if we do not trust him as the salvation from sin, which has dirtied our entire person, for which we will face God's wrath, we don't have fellowship with him. We don't have a share with him. If we don't trust Jesus and let him serve us with humility. Because if we don't trust him and we don't receive him with humility, we don't get him. And the question I really have to ask, and we should always ask, is who wants to go to heaven to be with someone whom they hate for eternity? Jesus' washing as a servant points to the humility actually that Jesus adopted in order to die for us, to rescue us. We need Jesus to cleanse us. But that means, as it did here, admitting that we can't cleanse ourselves and that only Jesus can. We must receive him with humility. And thirdly, we must receive Jesus' serving with assurance. Because Jesus responded to him in verse 10 with a corrective. He said, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. What's he saying? He's saying that it is by faith that we are saved. If we have trusted Jesus, we are bathed, completely clean. See, the disciples here were saved before this moment. They didn't need Jesus to wash his, they didn't need Jesus to physically wash their feet in order to receive salvation. That's not what's going on here. The disciples believed him, and because they believed him, they were saved. And Jesus washing their feet shows that it was going to be fully completed at the cross. And the one who travels with Jesus the rest of his life is sanctified. And he stays washed through repentance and faith. Now, how is this assuring? Some of you might think that you're too dirty to receive Jesus' serving. You've got no hope, and everyone around you believes that, or you believe they think you're hopeless. The disciples walked dusty roads, caking mud if it was wet, and if they were... And if, where they, and if, depending on where they were, and hear me though, it's graphic, they have animal droppings, urine, the spit of passerby, and quite possibly sewage from the houses in their cities on their feet. And some of you are very concerned that when you hear this passage, you don't hear of Jesus' love for the true disciples. You hear the warnings of the betrayer in the midst, and you are terrified. So let this passage encourage you. Yes, the one who refuses Jesus at the cross is not saved and should expect nothing but judgment. But Jesus didn't come for judgment. Jesus came to wash away all the filth. All the filth in you that brings judgment. 
And let this also encourage you. Jesus, in this passage, is telling us that there need be only one Judas Iscariot. That you don't have to follow in Judas Iscariot's ways. Because Jesus has served you. Do you receive his serving? That's the question. Do you receive it? That's all you need to do. Receive it. We must receive Jesus' serving. God's love results in service. And once we have received Jesus' serving, finally, we must serve as Jesus did. There are times in the scriptures, in the Gospel of John, where we need to think very carefully and well about a matter before deciding what it means. Praise God for that. He wants us to use our minds to glorify him. But there are times where Jesus could not be more clear. And this is one of them. We must serve as Jesus did. The Christian life does not stop at Jesus serving us. Did you know that? The Christian life does not stop at Jesus serving us. His service never disappears, but what happens? It is multiplied through people who call him their Lord. We must serve as Jesus did. So here's a question. Why must we serve one another? Because Jesus is our teacher and Lord, our master and our sender. Look at the argument he gives here in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I mean, Jesus' logic is just so clear. So clear. And I think this is why he made this one so clear. There's some things where we had to unpack it quite a bit. This one, I think, is clear because of this reason. We do not default to sacrificially serving one another. We don't. We begin as Judas, who picks money out of the money bag for ourselves, not as Mary, who wipes people's feet with her hair. You see, the disciples can live with Jesus for three years and watch him serve and say, isn't it great that we have a rabbi who does all this great stuff for people to show them the kingdom of God? But yet they don't readily make the connection that they are to be following his example. And so we need this clear instruction. We cannot call, truly call Jesus Savior, Lord, Teacher, our God, if we reject what he commands. But when we obey him, the world sees who Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, really is and is really like. 
the logic is clear. So what does it mean then to serve one another? Well, it means we actually wash each other's feet. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We're to actually do them. We're to serve one another. Now what does that mean? Are we to... Are we going to introduce every Sunday morning that everybody takes off their shoes and socks at the door and then we start our worship gathering by washing each other's feet? Well, I mean, I could say maybe, but that's not really what Jesus is getting at here. What's he getting at with foot washing? Well, I'll say this first. And you know this. Serving is not an exclusively Christian activity. I mean, if you walk around doing good deeds all day, that might open some doors for you to talk about the gospel, but it does not automatically mean that people see you as a disciple of Jesus. Even atheists change tires for people from time to time. What's Jesus getting at here when he's telling his disciples to serve one another as I have served you? What's he getting at? He's getting at sanctification, that process of holiness, sacrificially serving fellow Christians so that we would grow in holiness. We would grow in who we already are purchased in Jesus. Children of God and fellow heirs with Christ, as Romans 8 verse 17 says. In some cases, yes, that might mean literally washing someone's feet that they would see the love of Christ for them. In other cases, and I'm just giving you a few of Tons of examples. In other cases, that might mean teaching someone how to use the table of contents in their Bible so they don't get so frustrated when they're trying to find a passage. Others, it's bringing a meal. It's offering a hand in a project. Others, it's doing what I'm doing right now. And I'm not boasting about it, I'm just telling you what it is. Through preaching the word and teaching it. Others, it's walking with someone through a trial, even when you have may have no idea how to fix their situation. There are almost an infinite number of ways to serve the body of Christ. But the purpose of the serving is to show who Jesus is for them. Who Jesus is for you, church. So pray to the Lord about how you can follow this command and example. But here's the key. The end of verse 17, he says, Blessed are you if you do them. And I emphasize this, and I think Jesus emphasizes this too, because we are people with wonderful intentions. We have such great intentions of our interactions with believers. I've heard many of you say some wonderful, awesome things that you could do for one another. And I've said some myself. And again, not boasting, just saying that is reality. 
But let's be warned here. If we, if it's just intention, we are disobeying Christ. And actually we are withholding the service of Christ to one another if we leave sacrificial serving of one another at just a nice thought. The Christian life is a thoughtful life. Serving sometimes is just spontaneous. You're right there and you're engaged and you're able to get your hands dirty real quick. Other times it takes a lot. A lot of forethought, a lot of planning. But the Christian life is not just a thoughtful life, it is an active life. So keep thinking and add to your thinking doing. Jesus will provide what we need to actually wash each other's feet. And I want you to have this in mind. Imagine what it would be like and how much we could honor Christ and gain for one another if this was our modus operandi all the time, church. That we would serve sacrificially one another. And some of you are. And we praise God for that. Why not all of us? God's love results in service. We must serve as Jesus did. So I want to ask you a question from all of this. Is God's love resulting in service on your bucket list? And not just a a box to be checked off on your bucket list, but a beautiful and mighty way to live every day of your life outside of this hour, maybe two on Sunday. And here's another question. How you, this sounds like a great idea, but you may have no idea where to start with this. Because in our day, We wear closed-toed shoes. Yeah, they stink. But it's not like... It's not like back then. What does serving look like for you? Well, let me suggest a good place to start. Ask the one who gives wisdom without finding fault. Have you asked the Lord how he wants to work through you to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, seriously, have you asked? All you need to do is ask. And he will tell you, he will show you, he will provide opportunities. And as we move forward with a vision for this church, and also God's revealed mission for this church, We as a church want to provide opportunities for us to serve one another. And here's another question. Are you ready to serve one another even when sometimes they seem more like Judas than a John or a Peter? Because Jesus washed Judas' feet too. We've been walking through a tough year. We've been isolated perhaps more than usual. Or if we weren't, 
We face frustration at a change in people's demeanor as they're at the store because we can't see most of their face. We've had to stay home. We may, we, and this is the thing. We may not have had to make major changes in some of our lives, but we've had to make enough parts change in our lives to face the effects of a disease that either weren't known or that were exploited and twisted to monger fear. We've had to interact with loved ones over the phone as we looked through their nursing home window. But now is not the time to say, we'll hold off on this serving one another until this all blows over. God's love is here today in, for us in Jesus Christ. And his love results today in service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you on behalf of, for myself and on behalf of my brothers and sisters here today, asking you, Lord, would you please show us if we aren't serving in some way, perhaps already, that you would reveal to us and help us to understand how we can better serve one another. And Lord, I pray that we would bring, I pray for your help with all the stuff that we are doing in serving one another. Lord, that we would bring that, please help us to evaluate those things. Is, Is that how you want us to be serving you and serving our brothers and sisters? Lord, I also pray that we would be reminded of your mercy even as we ask for forgiveness for the times where we have, in the hardness of our hearts, skipped opportunities to serve one another. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have viewed our brothers and sisters as unservable. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we ask for your help to act in love, to sacrificially serve one another because you have cleansed us. You have washed our feet. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for that amazing example of humble service. Oh Lord, work in our hearts today. Help us. Lord, use us to display your love, your service, who you are to one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.